Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Clayberry, your host, and with me today, both co-hosts, Y. Lou. Hey, Y. And Caleb Wells. Sean. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. How's hey, it going? Hey, you're never <laughs> going to guess who we have on the show today. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> i give you a hint. His name is Mads. Well, that, that, that narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no. We are lucky enough to have on our show today, Mads Torkinson. Welcome, Mads. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Happy to hear you all three. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show. It's uh, not often we get uh, somebody that is such well-known as you and, and such important in our industry. So we've had some big ones, but you're right up there. I'll have to oh. give you a, a good pat down. Thank you. You, so, you know, when, when you got scheduled, we were like, wait a minute, is this who we think it is? We're like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so this will, this will be a good one. Yep. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So I think it's fairly obvious that C Sharp is my favorite language because I co-host a podcast on .NET. <laughs> but our and C Sharp's current state, right, and the evolution of .NET and C Sharp and whatnot, are you concerned about bringing in more developers or growing the community or getting bigger? Or are you just concerned about putting out the best product you can? I think I am concerned about all of the above and more in a sense. Like we it, we don't want C-sharp to be insular. Like if you got in at the ground level, it'll continue to be good for you, but you have to continuously learn to keep up. But it's hard to get at from... Uh, from um, a new learner's point of view. So I think that we we try to do, from a feature perspective, the good feature work makes life better, both for someone who's learning C-sharp for the first time and for someone who's been there all along. So features that remove a bunch of boilerplate, that don't remove it per se, but make, that, make it unnecessary, right? They, they tend to make it easier to approach C-sharp for someone who doesn't know it, and at the same time, remove a burden for people who are already just in terms of what, you know, the amount of bulk that's in their code. So we've done several of those lately. And, and the idea is to really make C-sharp a, make C-sharp code simpler, even as we're adding new features and technically making the language more complicated by having more choices, we are making C-sharp code simpler. It's easier to look at, it's easier to navigate. Um, there's, there are fewer things in the way or taking up screen real estate. It's easy to find the business logic for the boilerplate. So along those lines, I had a question about default interface so, methods. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I, I want to understand what use cases do those really solve versus just opening up ways for people to make bad interfaces? <laughs> well, the use case that they were primarily added to solve was the one that was the problem of evolving interfaces. Once you have an, once you've published an interface before default implementations, you really couldn't add new members to, to an interface ever because you have existing implementers. And once you add a member, you are adding a requirement on them to implement a new member. And that means you break everyone who's already implementing the interfaces. So that was a very hard line and, and, and people were running up against this. So giving a way to add a new member that wouldn't break existing developers or existing code by way of having an, an implementation that would kick in if you didn't provide one, that was sort of the, the primary motivation. And we've seen, some, we've seen some use of that. I don't think it's, it's probably not a feature that's seen as much uptake as we might have thought. It's, it's one of those slow burn features, I think, that it's gradually getting used more and more. The, um, like the, the math interfaces that I talked about, for instance, that we're adding, they will have several default implementations here and there because now it's available, but we haven't necessarily gone back and put a bunch of them into existing interfaces that that were there before the feature was added. So it's not like, it's not a feature you would use often. <laughs> it's a feature you will only use if you're sort of an, a library author with responsibilities to unknown implementers out there. And yeah. One thing you can do to those uh, methods is you, you can actually have a private method on a default interface. So when you do that, you know, private says, I'm only doing things internally there. So where does it get, if it needs storage, if it needs some variable storage or whatever, is that on the the parent instance, even though it's marked private? Or how does that work? I mean, you, can't, you can't have fields in an interface, only static fields. And that doesn't change. So Right, right. No, the method. If you, you, can have a, you can have a private method on an interface. You can. So that can be a helper method for various stuff that you want you to do in your default implementations, for instance. So that's a, it's a way to factor out some shared okay. functionality, perhaps. I don't think that private interface members are a big deal. I mean, it's not something people use a lot. It was mostly a completeness thing. Or like, yeah, you do, you yeah. will want to be able to factor some things out into your interface. There's no reason why not. I mean, the runtime already supports that. The only the only new runtime feature was the default implementations themselves and making them work. So we're like, that seems useful. Let's Let's just turn it on. Let's surface that existing functionality in C sharp, so that for when you want to, when you want to factor things out of your default implementations, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. I I was just playing around with it. I haven't figured out how I'd use it, but I just like, okay, can I do this? Make it private and default imp- implementation. It's like, yeah, it doesn't complain. So oh, yeah. cool. But don't know how I'd ever use it. So, right, you get, with C-sharp being open source, you get a lot of community feedback, like you said, and you even get some of the community that, that actually does PRs to include stuff. And for some reason, that got me thinking about Unity, right, and the fact that it's built using C-sharp. Mm-hmm. Do you have discussions with companies like Unity on new versions of C-sharp and functionality that, that maybe would benefit them? I mean, we do. Unity especially in that they actually, they ship C-sharp, so to speak, right? They have a, an implementation of the language itself that they maintain. But yeah, we speak to Unity. We speak to other companies that use C-sharp and have also sometimes their own tooling uh, related to C-sharp. So a lot of our 
a lot of our more low-level features, for instance, were definitely welcomed by by Unity. Which, if you if you use Unity and write C sharp in Unity, you'll typically not have any allocation. You will you will be it'll be structs all the way or pre-allocated storage because you're in a game loop and you can't you you don't want to have a garbage collector running. And and in pre in the last several releases, we've improved expressiveness around using structs. There's much more you can do with refs and and so on to to write efficient code that you would previously have had to use unsafe code for. We've essentially created most of what you could do with unsafe code, we've created alternatives for that are safe, but fairly low level. And that's that's good just not just for Unity, but for many, many application areas where you're sort of building infrastructure for others, you're doing interop or things like that. That's been a great set of improvements in general. But certainly, also ones that we talk to Unity about, and that that are helpful in their scenarios. So, what is um, what is C sharp like written in? Like, if I went into the GitHub repo and had a look, like the compiler and all that stuff, is that it's written in? C-sharp. I'm guessing that's not written in C sharp. Is that written in the, C or something? Um, <laughs> you could. I mean, oh, okay. It's a large. So I could go in and I'd understand. We it had um, I mean, for, <laughs> for the first many years, the C sharp compiler was written in C plus plus, and I mean, the runtime is written in C plus plus. You can't. I mean. At some point, you gotta go. You gotta hit the metal. <laughs> but the, no. we then decided to to rewrite the C sharp compiler in C sharp and the VB compiler in VB, and not just as a sort of batch compiler rewrite, but to to build essentially a language engine, an API that can represent code and reason about code in such a way that it's efficient both when you do batch compilation, but also can can be the thing that underlies the tools like IDEs and provides their the semantic, the, the syntactic and semantic analysis for them. So that's a project that we called Roslyn. And that is now Roslyn is now the um, the C sharp and VB compiler and the thing that underlies all the tooling that we offer from Microsoft and, and many other it's open source and many other companies offer tooling that's based off of Roslyn, whether it's more sort of batch tooling, or whether it's uh, interactive tooling of various kinds, and that has that's been a huge success. That whole code base is written in C sharp. The uh, the object model for syntax trees and 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 for semantics, like static binding and everything, is immutable. So you have all these immutable trees that are that use clever tricks behind the hood, so that when you make a little change, it doesn't have to rebuild everything from scratch, but it reuses as much as possible of the previous tree and you can build analyzers and code fixers and all kinds of things. There are frameworks for all that, all based on this API. And the API itself is the surface area of it is fairly approachable. But if you go into the code base, there's a lot going on. It's a complicated, very complicated code base. What was kind of one of the most dif- most difficult things to add to C sharp? Was it things like immutability? Was it uh, null reference checks or things like that? Oh, many things have been very difficult. In recent years, the um, nullable reference types was probably one of the big ones. It's such a small feature <laughs> from a from a surface area perspective. Essentially, it just lets you say what you express your expectations around whether something should be null here or not, and then it gives you a little bit of diagnostics around that when you and help you know help you do the right thing. But the amount of work that went into that, oh my, the, that whole release was like 70% of the work with nullable reference types. 
has so many questions and so many little tweaks and yeah that was that was a tough one and it's not all you can you can't always fully predict it when you set out you're like ah it's something like this how hard can it be you know hardly any syntax and then <laughs> you come crawling out years later and you're like Ooh, that was a tough one another example was async which you know a much earlier example back in in c sharp 5 again it's a small the whole point of async is that it takes something that it takes very, very messy code, very error-prone and hard-to-maintain code, and it turns it into, it looks like hardly anything. It looks so easy, right? You just add an async keyword. Thank you. And a little await here and there, <laughs> and it all looks like it used to, And except it, now it's async. Nice little magic trick that is so complex under the hood, like immensely complex. And once you've figured out just making it work and getting the semantics right, there, there are all the questions about performance and efficiency of it. And it... Such a huge project. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, when I talk to you, I mean, I really feel the developer vibe, and I know that's your background. But is, mm-hmm. is all of Raygun that way? I mean, you know, it just kind of feels like when I talk to other companies, they're a little more corporate, a little more, you know, focused on maybe, you know, raising money or doing other things, you know. But it seems like when I talk to you, you're just, you know, down-to-earth developer dude. I like to think of myself as a down-to-earth developer dude. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ray, Raygun is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, we're not heavily VC-backed. Um, you know, my business partner and I, when we started, we were both nerds, you know. Um, I, I might be the CEO today and I don't write code on the product. Um, but, you know, the joke internally is, you know, what's the definition of technical debt, Chuck? It's CEO code. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Stuff to go fix. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we, you know, we, we're... Stories. We're, <laughs> we're a cash flow positive business, you know, we're not heavily VC funded, um, you know, but we, we, we are at a size now where we're, we're, we are expanding and more and more folks are, are discovering what we're about. But yeah, we often look through things through that lens of a developer, you know, I wanted a 30,000 foot view, but I also want to go right down to an individual um, data point. Um, similarly, you know, I don't believe in averages. I want medians. I want P99s. I, I make better decisions that way. And so we try and drive that sort of thinking into our products and try and be as developer-minded uh, as we possibly can be. Yeah, I love that because, you know, it, for me, it's it's run by people who get me um, and you're not under pressure from like a VC to raise your prices or, you know, go hyper grow and then, oh crap, now we're behind the eight ball with our money and now we've got to figure it out. You know, you're just going to keep growing, steadily moving. And, and I just love that. Yeah. I mean, the term these days is often referred to as product-led growth, right? Like get people to use the product mm-hmm. and say, hey, that's great. I want to give you money. Um, I don't think it's that complicated. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, folks, if you want to go check it out, you can go find them at raygun.com. Uh, you can actually sign up for a free trial right there on the website. Yeah, there's a lot of things that have become easier over over the versions of C-sharp. You know, talking about getters and setters, not having to make your own little private variables and things like that. And so there's there's one, I actually had a question submitted to me. So it's kind of a, a long one. So I'll, I'll read it to you and I'll actually put the example of uh, some code in, in the chat so you can look at it. But it's like, Declaring a read-write non-nullable reference type without warnings is way too hard. With mismatched nullability between the field and the property and needed a null forgiveness operator to boot. So the question is, will there be a better way to do this in C-sharp 11? Uh, The answer is yes. (laughs) So the problem here is that we have a hard time reasoning about uh, the Essentially, it's hard to reason about that unless you assign 
a property in a constructor or a field or a property from, from within the constructor, a non-nullable one, then we can't know that it's not going to stay null. And essentially, you've broken a contract. And that's just an excuse because you often want to do that. Like what you, especially in later releases, we focused a lot on making object initializers a better alternative to constructors. One of the big problems is that if you're building a data type and mean you're not putting constructors in for all the, to initialize all the values, but you want to rely on object initializers to have them initialized, well, then you start getting all these warnings and there's nothing you can do. And the problem is that you can't compel your callers, like the, the people who are creating new instances of the object, you can't compel them to initialize things, specific things in object initializers. So the new feature is that you can. We, there's, the current design is you can put a required keyword on any field of property. And now object initializers are required to initialize those fields. And if it's, if it's a non-nullable required property, that means that the compiler will now trust that once the object initializer has has run, once the object is created, it will be non-null and all those warnings will go away. So the short version is required properties let you get rid of those warnings at the at the expense of the user having to initialize those things, which is, you know, somebody's got to do it, right? <laughs> so either if you're not passing it in, if you're not offering constructors with with parameters that get used to initialize that thing, well, somebody's got to do it. And so it's not null. And um, now you can make the user do it directly in an object initialized. Okay. So is there is there a release date for C Sharp 11? Yeah, roughly. It's We now release every year alongside with .NET. So sometime in November, every year is when the next version comes out. It's totally date-driven now. And we, I mean, it used to be in the old days when we had several years between releases that we would very carefully curate, you know, the set of features that go together in the next release of C Sharp. Nowadays, we just build features that make sense and we release them when they're ready. <laughs> you know, there's always a release uh, within the next year. So some features take multiple releases to build and, and some are quickly done, essentially. And some, you know, some of them, of course, do have dependencies. Uh, for instance, the one I talked about with the abstract static members has you know, strongly tied with the math interfaces in the, in the BCL. So it all has to come out at the same time. You do coordinate at that level, but there's no, there's no longer a notion that just like the C-sharp 5 release was the async release, you know, there's no like C-sharp 11 is the whatever release. It, it'll have multiple things. Some of them will just be the next turn of the crank on something we've been doing, a story we've been rolling out for years. Some will be little helpful features. So... Are you still trying to decide which features to include and which to push out and go into C Sharp 12? Yeah, there. I mean, there's always things. Some things take longer than usual. Some unexpected things happen. So just in terms of by now, we we know what features we would like to have in C Sharp 11. That's no longer a question. That's a question earlier in the cycle, but that doesn't mean we get all of them in. And we are we're fairly flexible and agile in terms of making those changes up until fairly late to say, ah, that one, no one has a dependency on that one. We would really like it in and we decided to put it in, but hey, we just don't have the time because that compiler developer had to go and work on something else or million of reasons, million reasons. So is there going to be a, a star feature in C Sharp 11? Star feature? You know, like, you know, when, you know, record types came out or when non-nullables came out, you know, what's going to be that, that what most people are going to be talking about for C Sharp I 11? think that's going to be the generic math. 
that's that's definitely the one with the most impact and the most visibility. Like that just opens a whole new a whole new set of domains up for being realistically done in C sharp. So that that would be the one. But but there but there's plenty of good stuff in there besides it and not and not all of it is particularly related to numbers. There are a few things that come along in the number space. We've done some generalizations around operators, we'll let you define checked versions of operators yourself as user-defined operators, little things like that, just to complete the picture. But there are plenty of other good stuff. Yeah, you mentioned auto properties before, and we we have this, there, there are a couple of metaphors that that tend to keep coming up over all these 16 plus years I've been in C-sharp design. One is, one is the slippery slope. <laughs> you dip your toe here, and you, once you start down this path, you can't stop. And the other one is the cliff, which is uh, something is super easy until you need that little thing that it can't do, and then you need to go and do an order of magnitude more code. With auto properties, it's definitely the cliff of, oh, I just want to do I notify property change stuff or something in there. And now I need to go to full property, define my own backing field, and do all the stuff that that auto properties did perfectly fine, just so I can call that ex- do that little extra method call. And and we that's something we that's been on our radar for years and years, and we finally settled on the right way we think of, of addressing that, which is that we will allow accessors in properties to to use a field keyword. Essentially, there's a word, there's a keyword to access the underlying field. So you're now so an auto property can now actually have accessor implementations. It can choose to implement just one accessor or both of them, and still have a backing field. That it can, but it can access the backing field from within that, from within what whichever accessors it decides to to implement. You decide to implement yourself. So that means, for instance, in the I notify property change scenario, you don't need to declare a backing field. You declare a property. You can leave the getter in place being auto implemented. So you just say get semicolon. But you provide a setter and you implement the functionality you want in terms of the field keyword, which just denotes within the property denotes its underlying field, which you still can't get to from anywhere else. It is only available in the property declaration. So that kind of that builds a bridge over the over the cliff. You don't have bridges over cliffs. I don't know what you have over cliffs, but it whatever smooths it out. Builds a ramp. <laughs> a rope. Yeah, a rope maybe. <laughs> so can you say where you where you see C sharp going in, you know, five years time, something like that? Oh, that's a terrific question. I mean I it's interesting. There's so many things that we still want to do with it as a language. We, are, we, are, we obviously have to be careful that those are things that are really useful. And so far, those kinds of things keep presenting themselves to us. So I could see us. It's very, it's re- very realistic that in five years' time, we'll still be adding features at the same clip. But it's also realistic that we will kind of have all of a sudden we'll go okay. Now we sort of reached a plateau where they're diminishing returns and maybe we should take a break. Doesn't mean that we retire or, or just stop the language evolving, but it's also conceivable that we, we uh, turn down the pace a little bit. And I just don't know. Um, it's, it's sort of in our, it's in our philosophy to keep evolving and to make C sharp, make sure C sharp doesn't fall behind in term, in comparison to other programming languages in terms of how how well it can be used in its core scenarios, whether they're existing on new ones. And that evolves all the time, but it's hard to predict the future. And we're, we definitely don't want to do features just 
because that's a that's our job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have to be they have to be well well justified and have to be worth it. So you do keep. The- I think even just predicting. Sorry. I was going to say, um, I think just predicting what's going to happen in the industry in five years' time in itself is is difficult. So it's probably, it's, I'm guessing it's probably just going to be a matter of like once like use cases, you know, like what use cases will be around in five years' time and whether C sharp needs to evolve. And then there's another thing which cases. so far hasn't happened, but very occasionally there's a paradigm shift in the industry where something just where the kinds of programming languages mm-hmm. needed for the new task that we can't even imagine today, maybe just where C sharp just can't make that turn. And then we'll be in the same boat with many other, you know, imperative object oriented programming languages, or maybe even a bigger category where just, wow, that we can't do anything about this. And, you know, if that's the case, well, then um, there'll be a lot of upheaval in the industry and, and, and maybe C sharp will start having diminishing um, market share. That, that can always be the case, but. Haven't seen that so far. So I'm just knocking on wood and plowing on. <laughs> yes, thankfully. I have one more question for you. Have you seen an impact on the design of C Sharp from cloud programming and things like Azure? And, and do you see it impacting the design in the future? Yeah, I think that that it's not that you can sort of point to the cloud feature in C Sharp, but that has been a very big context that... Um, honestly, that that has been a paradigm shift in the industry since C Sharp started. There wasn't the cloud uh, 20 years ago. There was a little bit of distributed programming and that kind of thing, but it was very very different. And so that's a that's a turn that we successfully made, I think. And the the first big down payment on that was async, uh, which allowed us to which allows you to deal with latency. Latency is no longer a kind of fringe scenario that is it is the bread and butter like it, it it's just like everywhere in certain types of application and you just have to deal with it so async was the first turn there another another aspect is uh, making immutability uh, better supported because it has a lot of benefits when it comes to dealing with the inherent concurrency for instance that is in a, in a distributed system like the cloud then we have pattern matching i would also put in the cloud enabler category if you think about classic object oriented programming the the whole sort of premise is that you bundle state and behavior together that's what object oriented programming is all about right the uh, an object keeps its state encapsulated, and then it offers up as its version of the things you can do with it. And that's, you know, take it or leave it, those are the things you can do. <laughs> and in the cloud, what we're seeing is that data outlives functionality, right? Data is long-lived and functionality, you need, you know, you have 100 different things distributed across 100 different scenarios with different people that all work on the same data. So you can't do this bundling together anymore. You need to still be able, to, you still want to represent data hierarchies, like shape hierarchies, like object-oriented hierarchies and say, you know, a person can be either an employee or a student and all that. Object-oriented modeling still has its place, but but you don't necessarily wrap up functionality w- with that model. You still have shape-dependent behavior, though. You still have, like, how, how you do a, a given operation dep- still depends on the shape of the data. So how do you do that when it's not as a virtual method inside of the class representing the data. That's where pattern matching comes in. It's really a feature 
for providing shape dependency absent from the uh, from the data description itself. And that again is very is very cloud motivated. So that's that's just three that I that come to mind. So do you watch other languages so that you make you know make sure that you're keeping up with the Joneses? Yeah, I do. It's I try to keep up. I I don't always like spend enough time on it. But then I but if something interesting happens, then somebody will usually alert me to it if I didn't discover it myself. So and there's I mean there's you can call it stealing, but there's definitely a a good a, the there's a good culture of sharing <laughs> among among today's programming languages. And sometimes we're the ones that come up with the with the thing that really hits the spot and sometimes somebody else's and we are like, ah, how can we how can we do a similar thing that works well in C sharp? So async is an example of something that that model started out in C sharp and .NET and is now in many major programming languages. So that was that was us going out first. And if you look at any of, for instance, we talked about many functional inspired features in C sharp. Obviously, they started in a completely different uh, setting and 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 were adapted into C sharp. It's also many times closer to home in languages that are more object oriented that they do something and we do something similar. We met, we talked about the the default implementations before, that's very similar to features in, in Java and in, in uh, Swift, uh, and, and they had them first. One of our motivating scenarios was having the, uh, the Samarin adaptation types be, uh, be as expressive as the, uh, as the native languages of the frameworks they were targeting and iOS and Android. So yeah, that yeah. goes, it goes both ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, like things like TypeScript you know, taking a lot of things from C sharp, but of course, then they do have things different too. So, but it's easy to switch back and forth for me. You know, when I have to do front end work versus back end work. Yeah, I mean, or one thing you know, that, if you're like Caleb, you can do C sharp in the front. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, hey, Blazer. One thing TypeScript from C sharp obviously was Anders Heilsberg. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Okay, so I think we're uh, just about out of time. So I'm going to move us on to uh, picks for today. So uh, do you want to do your pick, Caleb? What do you got? Sure. So, right, I'm trying to be healthier. Aren't we all some point in our lives trying to be healthier? And uh, so I'm drinking less coffee, but I'm drinking more tea, right? And yeah, maybe it has some caffeine in it, but, you know, not much. And I found tea at Trader Joe's that I really love, right? I mean, I can drink this stuff all day long. And it's Trader Joe's Moroccan Mint Green Tea, right? And it has, you know, just enough mint. And so that is my pick for today. And if you don't have a Trader Joe's near you, it is actually on Amazon. I don't know if it's sold by Trader Joe's. You may be getting a markup from from some enterprising redistributor. But yeah, that's my pick. Okay. All right. Why? What's your pick? 
So yeah, my pick this week is a um an Oculus Quest game that I've decided playing. It's called Walkabout Mini Golf. So um it's basically just mini golf, but it's really fun. It's got it's got a really cool kind of multiplayer mode. So I was just playing with my friend last night and yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just like mini golf and you can kind of chat with people and things like that. It's just a because he, he lives in Melbourne, which is pretty far away um, for me. So it's kind of good to kind of just catch up with him over VR. Kind of glad that we live in a world where there's VR now that and you can just catch up with your friends remotely like that. So, cool. so. All right. So uh, my pick yeah, this week my pick. is I recently was in the market for picking up a different boom arm for my microphone. I had another boom arm and it seemed to not like lightweight microphones. The springs in it were, were much too strong. So every time I tried to pull it down... I had to really crank down on the the knobs to lock in the elbows and the everything like that. So I went and f- searched around and I found this new one. It's made by Elgato. So you, a lot of people are familiar with their little switches for doing podcasts and, and YouTube and things like that. So I picked up one of their boom arms and this one is actually called low profile and it actually goes horizontal. So versus having the going up and then down and bending in that way. This one actually rotates horizontally, so it can actually have go underneath your monitor from behind your desk and reach out that way and, and move it back and forth. They do have another version of it that's, that is the old up and down, and uh, it is also really nice. And that one, you can actually go up and over your monitors if you, if you want to go that way. But uh, check out the Wave Mic Arm LP by Elgato if you're in the market for uh, a boom arm for your microphones. The cat. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Mads, do you have a pick for our audience? Um, sure. I'll pick a book just so we can, we're getting to four different, very different categories here. A book that I've, I've finished recently. We have a, a local author here in Seattle, uh, Neil Stevenson, that I'm uh, quite fond of. Many, I think many folks in the um, in the software industry may know about Cryptonomicon that he wrote a while ago. But, uh, his recent book, Termination Shock, was just a very, a very fine read. He he nerds a lot. The books are usually about a thousand pages, so it's not for everyone. But I like his language, and I like the way that he he just speculates about everything. It's very nourishing to me. So, um, so that will be my pick. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Mads, for uh, spending some time with us today. And I'm sure you've got a lot of things to do. You know, C Sharp's Love is only you know six, seven months away, <laughs> maybe eight months. So you're busy. Don't trust me so out. thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> thanks for inviting me on. This was great. I, I had a fun time. Good. If our listeners have questions and they want to uh, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm occasionally on Twitter as Matt Torgerson. Uh, Matt Torgerson, just one long word. If you are, if you have C sharp specific proposals or uh, that kind of thing, go on our on our GitHub repo, which is .NET. Uh, C-sharp lang. That's the best place to bring language okay. ideas and questions, I think. Yeah. I mean, with language being open source, you know, people can just dig in there, figure out how it works, and then uh, add things that they think could be useful. That's right. All right. If our listeners want to get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, give us feedback. Let us know what you things you want us to cover. They can reach me at Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm something with my name in it. Uh, Caleb Wells Coates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.